right now at Kohl's. Take an extra 25% off top active brands, including Under Armour for her. Get Nike shoes for the family, $48.75 and under, and save on Levi's denim for the family. Plus, get limited contact store drive up and get even more for your wallet with Kohl's Cash. Shop Kohl's and Kohl's.com. 25% off Under Armour ends August 9th. Nike ends August 8th. Levi's sale ends August 30th. Offers and coupons do not apply. Select styles. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. This is Naina. You are listening to Talk Sexo Life, and this is the second part of our conversation with Tirupati Karthik, CEO of Napier Healthcare. We delve into Karthik's varied interests, comprising running, playing squash, practicing yoga, and meditation in this segment. But do you know what we find really fascinating? It's how this business leader spends his weekends. Now, Karthik is a World Squash Federation certified level one coach and spends his Saturdays coaching kids to play squash. An interesting way, we think, to stay connected to a sport if an injury robs you the opportunity to play that sport as ardently as you used to. Karthik is also a passionate advocate for dementia care and believes the mind is the strongest organ. Let's listen to this leader share how pursuing any sport is about how you got to do what you got to do before you get what you get and how sports gives you friends for life happy listening what was the most defining moment when you realized that squash you know was there a moment like that when you're playing squash and you realize that there's something that you really enjoy no i think i think two or three things happened i picked up squash i also went and learned golf i did tennis i learned tennis as well mm-hmm. uh, but i think none of them stuck on yeah but squash is very easy to play because mm-hmm. you just need one more person uh, <laughs> okay unlike cricket where you need mm-hmm. 11 15 people right. and cricket takes you know 7 8 hours mm-hmm. so does golf for that matter so it's more pragmatic i mean uh, It I think it's well within yeah it fits yeah it fits well with it's very practical <laughs> uh it's the greatest bang for the buck uh you go you tire yourself out in an hour hour and a half and you mm-hmm. come back you got the exercise for the day yeah, right. um, and you know unlike mm-hmm. uh, in golf or in cricket you don't sit down to have a glass of beer after that mm-hmm. so you know whatever you burnt out stays that way whereas when you see golf or cricket after that there is a camaraderie and you sit down and you drink and do all of that you will seldom find a squash group of squash players sitting down mm. after a game and you know drinking <laughs> you will not find a pot-bellied squash player for it for sure you could find that in golf you could find that in cricket cricket also oh, yeah which so, i have always wondered as in how does so that some of the cricketing about? greats used to have a very nice right. you know nice round yeah. belly <laughs> So how often and how long do you kind of play off late I have off late I have not played uh, I must be uh, truthful I have not played squash for probably about 2 years now right. but I do when I am in the court mm. I do do some of the things mm. I do do drives on my own mm. uh, you know or I do keep myself fit that way right. 
because i i coach in the weekends typically oh. and i i do you know 3 4 hours of coaching mm-hmm. on saturdays mm-hmm. and that doesn't leave me any time because sunday i try to keep as much time as possible to spend with the family uh, but also usually what happens is when i travel i leave on a sunday afternoon or an evening so that being the case i don't do much so i don't play a lot and uh, as you kind of also get some injuries you right. want to stay away from doing that squash is very intense and also pretty hard on your uh, knees mm. so you uh, transition you went on to become a coach right smart right. way of being in touch with the game that you like but um, you're also among the um, you know you're a WSF certified level 1 coach in singapore you you have certain kids under your training so how did that happen so what what happened was there's a long story but i think all this can be traced back to the time that squash globally mm-hmm. uh, attempted to find itself as a sport in olympics mm-hmm. uh, i think we okay. still feel it very right. we still feel very bad even today that we are not an olympic sport so as a result of that what they did was the global squash leadership mm-hmm. uh, in the world squash federation and mm-hmm. the women's squash uh, federation as well what we started to do was how do we make mm-hmm. the sport more interesting and how do we bring a level of discipline in the sport till then mm. it was basically a sport played by the people who enjoyed mm. it for the people who enjoyed it watched by the people by the who enjoyed <laughs> it so it was a very uh, what <laughs> would i say i don't know <laughs> yeah it, it's a very cozy uh, so, you know club of people who like to do it so mm. it was almost unheard of external people coming in to watch mm. the sport or be in that sport mm-hmm. and you'll always find that if there is a squash player in the house their children will become squash players and mm-hmm. their grandchildren so it's almost dynastic in mm-hmm. some ways as well and that love for the sport was being passed down mm-hmm. and it wasn't a big fraternity mm-hmm. so with a view to expand that fraternity with a view to making the sport more interesting they introduced formal squash credentials for mm-hmm. coaching okay and the world squash federation came up with a lot of coaching programs mm-hmm. and certification and all of that mm-hmm. and you know my coach here who also runs the ultimate squasher the mm-hmm. club she said uh, she's she's actually a national player herself mm-hmm. in singapore and she was the national coach so she said karthik this is coming you should be i said what would i do becoming a coach she said no it'll it'll teach you something good you know it's interesting so i just signed up for it for the mm-hmm. heck of it and then i went for a conversion course subsequently as well but it taught me a lot about the game itself mm-hmm. many a times you learn to play the game without understanding why, why your swing is mm-hmm. this way why your grip is this way uh, we also learned how to troubleshoot grip how to troubleshoot some of the way the racket swing is and you know uh, many things including where do you look how do you stand and how do you prepare the racket how do you prepare yourself and all of that very interesting mm-hmm. once you learn it then it ah this is something different right and then you want to share that with the others was that light like got kind of bulb that switched on it does because i remember after that uh, one of the things they said was i have always been playing and i have been this most terrible coach to my kids outside because there is nothing worse than watching your kids play inside the court whether winning or losing and parents outside can get quite rowdy mm. i was quite terrible in that sense but after that you then realize you know 
it's different you understand the problems you understand why they are doing things the way they are doing and then you try to troubleshoot it for them not that they will ever listen to you the last thing that a kid would ever do is listen to his parent even if it's a qualified squash coach uh, but it does it does give you a different perspective and then you say okay now that i have learned this can i teach it to the others what can i do to make it more enjoyable critical do you think it is to a market or sport i think sports live or die only mm. because of the markets that they have sports brings fans mm. and sports brings the audience mm. and it enhances the all round prospects of the sport investment in the infrastructure and things mm. like that uh, today i was very happy uh, for example uh, seeing how traditional sport you know if you call it a village sport a kabaddi for example mm. in india or uh, some of the uh, others once some amount of money comes in it changes i remember uh, when we were growing up as kids there used to be this german uh, thing called telematch and telematch mm. used to be basically village sport they had some fun right. they would create some zany mm. things and then they would try to you know make one team win against the other mm. but those are the things that you could play and just think of it it's it's a sport that requires no infrastructure mm. you could play a kabaddi or a koko or a gulli danda with no infrastructure on the other hand if you want a soccer if you want a cricket or whatever you have to have that elaborate right. infrastructure mm. so these are the sports that can actually be sold very easily when money comes in the infrastructure gets better more people become better and every sport i always believe teaches you something more than the sport itself it teaches you values it teaches right. you some of those things that you may not have had what have so, you derived independently from squash i think squash is all about what you put in is what you get <laughs> and that is true for as any sport that, yeah. that is true for any sport <laughs> if you don't practice hard enough when you drive the ball has to land at the back of the court and near the corner as much as possible as consistently as possible and that comes only by practice okay, okay. i put in 10 hours i'll get 10 hours worth of benefit i put in 2 mm-hmm. hours i'll get 2 hours so what it also teaches you is you got to do what you got to do before you get what you're supposed to get so mm-hmm. i think that's that's the biggest thing you spoke of ultimate <clears throat> squasher so can you tell us what is the role that what what exactly does it do in the sense so in many ways this club in singapore has led the rejuvenation of squash yeah. in the region it started by uh, three people all of them former squash greats one was former squash number 1 from malaysia and then one was till recently the squash uh, number 1 uh in singapore she was mm. uh, singapore number 1 and then um, the other one is the former singapore number 1 they are all national coaches today mm. and i think they started to do this for generally for fun and mm. you know keep some money coming and all of that while uh, doing full time coaching assignments but then they realized over a period of time because of their passion to the game parents were more attracted to that right. uh, and that's how uh i remember when my kids first went into ultimate squasher in those days they were coaching some 8 or 10 kids or some today it is consistently every month after month year after year it's about 150 odd oh, kids awesome. and mm. you know that takes some administration mm. that takes mm. some amount of work right. and it also shows the passion they have
Now when a child takes up a sport, eventually, I mean, at the beginning, I think, is a parent who decides for the child. Eventually, if it has to happen, or, uh, transform into a passion, it's a child. Yeah. What is that switch? When does it happen? You know, when a child has, knows that he has to go for his squash training. But, you know, that, that time when you realize the child has switched. Now, he really wants to learn. He really enjoys that session. I think that tipping point comes after a few years. See, the first few years is the parents are going in to the squash court mm. every weekend, making yeah. them take part, making them take part in tournaments and mm. do all of that. But there will be a point where the kids, two things will happen. In, in It happens in all Asian societies. People say, well, sport can't be your life. You know, you got to have right. a life which mm. is built around education so. and jobs and all of that. It's so there is, uh, so there is one part that goes off there. Mm. Then there is another part which says, okay, you can do that. And st and this is what is happening in Singapore today. Parents are realizing that you can still continue a sport despite being good in education, uh, despite mm. good in being good in academics. Uh, you don't have to turn a professional, mm. but you can still keep in touch with the sport. I think that's where it is. But the tipping point, I would say, comes probably if a kid starts at six or seven years mm. of age, then they go through about three or four, five years of mm. training and, you know, being in squash. They get a level of proficiency. And that's when they say, ah, mm. this. But what also happens, for example, with my kids, it has happened is my son and daughter both have made friends, lifelong mm. friends. It's a bunch of kids. I I look at them and say, no two of them are the same as the other. Mm. Uh, each one is very different. And yet when they all get together as a team to play squash, it's very That's different. Good. So we have this squash ladder in Singapore. So they we call them the grade F, the grade E's and all mm. of that going all the way up to grade A. So these kids form a team and then every uh, year, I think it's about six months that these competitions happen on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. So they, someone becomes a captain and someone does the coordination and then they come up with strategies. Mm. They help each other out saying that this guy I played long ago or I heard about this guy, this mm. is how you play. It's much more than just a sport. And that, those are your friendships for life. Those are your friends mm. for life. And that's what a sport gives you. There is always, I read increasingly a lot of articles which say that it's good to have family, but it's more important to have friends. Mm -hmm. Because friends are the people who will tell you as it is. Mm -hmm. They will be your support uh, structure. Mm -hmm. You can talk to them even about things that you can't talk to your family mm -hmm. about. So they always say that you mm -hmm. must always have yeah. friends and these are the things that you mm -hmm. want. How young do you take them in? I would say the youngest I have seen is about five years. Uh, five years, five years mm -hmm. but Are I you able to kind of hold it. In no, we have small rackets for kids. Okay. We have kids racket and mm -hmm. all of that. But I have seen kids that have a ball sense. You have to have a ball sense, which means when you see a ball drop, you must know what to do to mm -hmm. connect the ball. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I have kids who are 12, 13 years old. Even after about 20, 30 lessons yeah. of one hour mm -hmm. each, they sometimes miss the ball. It's not because they are not. It's just the motor sense. Mm -hmm. Some kids have an amazing timing of the ball. They have an amazing sense of the ball, amazing sense of how to hit, where to hit. That, I think, is innate. Right. That's the talent. So what do you think is the right age, perhaps, for a child to... I would say five, six years, five, seven six years. years, for sure. Mm. Uh, by then, they should be okay. Yeah. Uh, but regardless of that, you have to give them some sport, mm. which allows them to 
make use of the motor skills that mm. they have move your hand hit the ball move your leg kick the ball mm. you have to do something that does something with a ball at mm. least once and that that is very important in terms of singapore how do you see it evolving the future of the sport vis-a-vis globally i think singapore is in good hands not that we can't do better but mm. we have something called the dsa mm. which is a direct school admission direct school admission is a program which gives you credit for being good in squash okay because schools not only need people mm. who are academically very good but they are also taking in people who are good in one sport or the other so now because squash has been listed in that now suddenly there is a lot lot of interest amongst the parents to make sure that you know they take up some sport or the other and sometimes parents take a very practical view of life if this is a sport that not many people are mm-hmm. running after and i want my child to go to the best school in singapore and they have that sports you know dsa and squash is a easy way to get mm-hmm. in they put people in squash mm-hmm. so it it kind of it works well both mm-hmm. ways for works out well for both people What do you think has been most challenging for you perhaps in terms of extending your commitment towards this as you role as a coach towards squash I think I would like to put myself through a lot more training for being a better coach okay. um I don't have that luxury of time also I think you get a lot more by coaching more kids right now I do you know three or four sessions that basically means I can theoretical maximum is about 12 kids is what i can handle it's about four kids maximum you would want to take on uh, mm-hmm. but there are coaches that do 6 7 i would say four is probably already too much for us to manage mm-hmm. beyond a point you want to do more you want to work with more kids and also there is also a question of attrition some kids fall off the radar after a while right what typically is there an age Uh, it's Or not an age because someone says well my son you know probably tennis is more lucrative right. tennis is a more acceptable social uh, game mm. or for that matter some of the other games so they kind of move That's away right. yeah or someone suddenly feels oh well you have reached uh, high school and now mm. it's time to stop all this activity and get and back focus to on focus on academics and you know i want you to get the best grades <laughs> a plus and, and all of that so that's the other reason mm. So is that like a graph that you're plotting in your head okay that after a certain while you'll amp up your coaching uh, commitments or it is going to take no, it I'm just I'm just taking it as it comes okay I don't know how long this will last or what it will do I'm enjoying it for the time being That's what matters and and I think that's important you right. want to do something that you like Another aspect of course is that you love to run also yes. uh, you always love to run so can you share with us as in how that runner's graph has been <laughs> <laughs> the runner's I graph is work. pretty bad right now <laughs> not right uh, so i started running i think probably about 12 years ago 12 13 years ago again this was introduced by the same friend of mine who introduced me to squash we started running and then uh, i just realized i could run when oh. was this this was probably in uh, 2005 maybe 4 5 about there and running also picked up around the same time in singapore okay. singapore today has some of the best you have the stand chart yeah. marathon which mm-hmm. happens every year, december and there are a lot of these that come mm-hmm. up uh, there are some specifically for women and there are some that are done in the morning there is a iron man there is right. a triathlon, triathlon and you do iron all of these man, things right. right 
so i think it all generally caught on around that time so i probably started off in 2004 or 2005 about there you directly start running marathons and things like that was it no we just started running okay. uh, no i can't do treadmill treadmill <laughs> is the most boring thing that's also the reason why i stopped swimming because i would swimming, swim okay. uh, i would mm-hmm. swim for an hour and then after a while i got bored you know the the landscape doesn't anywhere. change <laughs> the landscape doesn't change whereas if you're running for example i run by the east coast in singapore and what happens is you can see the ships on the sea right. you can see other people running and running is almost like a meditation you are at peace with mm-hmm. yourself i've heard many say that uh, and because you can't be a runner if mm-hmm. you're thinking of too many things or whatever mm-hmm. in fact i so like all of this that i don't even listen to any music some people run with music yeah. oh that's quite so i am i said no i'm a loner i'm a loner <laughs> i want to be all by myself so all these sports fit into that mold of you know uh, being by yourself so what is your favorite perhaps uh, are there some favorite running moments that you really enjoyed to run the best runs i've had uh, are the ones that i started at 6:30 or 7 in the morning and you you have a nice long run an hour hour and a half at mm. least and then you come back uh, you shower the family is just waking up mm. and uh, then everything is okay your day just begins your day begins and you got right what you wanted and right no one's run. troubling you there are no phone calls so the best one best runs i have had is on sunday mornings about mm. that time when there is no one troubling you or whatever is there any specific uh, marathon or one of the world majors that you ever thought of participating ever participated no i have you done never really no, kept no, those no no not not stuff. like that so i have I, like i said i i do these things for myself it's not right. for i i think two things it also comes out of the reality that you face that you are not an a competitive athlete you got to understand this you know many times it's good to know what you want to do but it's even more important to know what you can do so if you have an idea of what your limitations are so i run a half marathon i don't mm. run a full marathon i run right. a half marathon and i do decent timing mm. that's not something that i obsess with i want to complete it but more importantly i i was running mostly so that i could keep that lifestyle where you get some amount of cardio every mm. now and then and running is a good thing because as long as you have shoes you don't need any other equipment, equipment or whatever and you can just go out and run even when you're traveling you can be in the uh, hotel and there is usually a treadmill much as it mm. is boring but at least you get some amount of running done so currently where are you at right now you may peace with the fact that you know seeing certain injuries and yeah i'm i'm now to... i'm now reconciled to the fact that i may never be able to do another half marathon never again never no i don't I think, think it is possible in fact i am actually signed up for the stanchart half marathon this december but as i was practicing i the pain recurred and all oh. of that i went to a sports right. medicine mm-hmm. uh, doctor as well i think the prognosis is pretty bad it's not going to get better it's only going to get worse mm. so even the last hurrah that you want to have mm. you don't want to do all taped up right. or you know because of that you don't want to be limping for rest of mm-hmm. your life i'm i'm reconciled <laughs> to the fact that i'll probably do a 10k run not a 21 that's okay i guess i mean as long as you keep that it will probably last another 8 or 10 years and then that will probably go on to 5 but you got to get used to it your understanding of the human body must be much definitely better yeah, you, you have to i think there is there is a period in life when you can't do everything and you got to yourself get used to it
now in terms of yoga you also have taken to yoga and meditation so how did that seep into your life yoga is probably more from another friend of mine he is a doctor he actually uh, spoke of the need to have a flexible body and i think it started from there i think we just started uh, doing these surya namaskars so there are about two three couples that get together on a sunday morning and do that so i think that's that's good uh, because now i suddenly find that i can do a lot more than just touch my toes which mm-hmm. wasn't the case before especially when you do something like a surya namaskar you know it gives you all round flexibility right. it's an overall body workout yeah, it's overall know. body yeah. so right from the stretching mm. to the calves and mm. the uh, hamstrings and the quads mm. and the hands biceps mm. and everything else including your core right. so that's why it's such a it's a very comprehensive flexibility uh, generator so i think that's that's how it started meditation has been a little different meditation not related to yoga mm. meditation is something that i have actually been doing from probably my teenagers so i have been doing okay. that bunch of us in the college we somehow i don't know how it became but it did become that way that we started thinking about spirituality religion god and all of that and mm-hmm. we got into a lot of meditation and that is mm-hmm. so i have always been in and out of meditation it's like this when you feel sick you go take a pill mm-hmm. so meditation is that kind of a pill for me but uh, of late i have resolved to kind of make it even when it is not needed so that it kind of gives you that balance of everything it's like a way of life yeah, you have to you have to spend some time it's like you, your mind also needs that space it doesn't need to be processing something all the time so you want to do something like that and there is a higher i, I don't want to get into that but there is a higher part of what you want to do in life you know and all of that it comes with the age and the territory so you start thinking about all of those uh, right. you're not chasing everything all the time that's fascinating you mentioned that you began it uh, as young as when you were a teenager has that got to do with the the cultural upbringing of yours and the brahmanical setup <laughs> Uh, yes and yes and no but that's because the general atmosphere in the house is very religious uh, but i am talking more of spirituality, uh, spirituality and mm-hmm. things like that and i think it's also because i i was uh, fortunate enough to have friends and classmates who were on similar it's and Same they were always curious about things when you're curious about things you mm-hmm. start are reading up you start mm. thinking about it and all of us in fact that whole group of guys we all were very good and we wanted to read and mm. read more books and do all of that it's not something that comes to a lot of people that time so it's also the peer group that you are in so how did you begin practicing that in the sense uh, there are various ways right to practice meditation many i mean from visualization techniques chanting mantras how did you begin and how do you how has that kind of evolved if you would like to share with us briefly i think meditation let me just say this without going too much into that but meditation is anything that you can do uh, without distraction meditation is focusing your mind on something not necessarily god while that is a good thing i'm mm. not saying some people might want to do some people don't want to mm. do there are people who are very comfortable with the concept of god at the mm. same time there are people who are rather uh, uncomfortable with any thought of religion right 
but if you recognize that meditation is all about our mm. ability to focus our mind on something for prolonged periods of time mm. without distraction this could be running yeah uh, i i think mm. so it could be singing when you're singing you're focused on that in fact the word meditation has become so loosely used over the last couple of years with something religion and spirituality it is actually not that even if you are someone who is driving and you are focused on driving and mm. doing all of that that is a meditation meditation is anything that keeps your mind focused on one thing at a time the ability to control the mind without distraction mm. is meditation that is what is meditation it doesn't have to be religious or spiritual or mm. anything even do you follow like a schedule wherein you practice yoga or meditation on daily or you keep that kind of you committed to it in the sense that you no i i don't do it that way but uh, what i do do is there is a ritual in the morning so mm-hmm. i spend 5 7 minutes at that time and usually at night what you want to do always is to keep a calm mind one of the worst things you want to do is to watch tv because tv actually not only visually stimulates your senses but it also creates a lot of other unwanted can go off in different just mm-hmm. imagine if you were someone who watched a horror movie at mm. night before you go to mm. bed it can then have an effect on your sleep and things mm. like that so in many ways you try to calm your mind mm. uh, there are a few techniques you can use but the idea is to calm the mind before you go to bed you can get a restful sleep or whatever mm. so i think it's more about using that to calm the mind uh, you calm the mind you can sleep very quickly you don't have to a lot of people do other things including things like physically uh, you know relaxing the body and mm. doing all of that you don't even have to do that if you recognize that the mind is the in my view the mind is the strongest organ of the body it can control everything it can help you do superhuman feats it can make you a nervous wreck and stop mm. you even from getting up in the morning due to depression mm. it's all in the mind yeah someone has said that in the pain is in the mind so you know how much pain your body can bear is all it's all of mind and there is one more thing uh, on a lighter note they always say it's mind over matter when you don't mind it doesn't matter so it right. is those kind of things speaking of the mind also uh, you're a passionate advocate for dementia care so could you share your uh, involvement i'm not very deeply involved in dementia care uh, in in the way i would like to how does uh, it why does i think i think why dementia is important is it's the fastest growing disease amongst the elderly if you look at the elder care about 30% of that is uh, supposedly to be in dementia i think in if i remember the numbers right by 2030 you would have 86 million people in the world uh, that would suffer from dementia of some form or the other and what is really disconcerting is the fact that dementia now seems to be affecting even people who are in their 40s and 50s okay uh, why dementia is something that i really feel for is mm. the suffering it causes to people with perfectly good physical mm, right. condition but it robs them mm. of the mind and it's very uh, heart wrenching and gut wrenching to see a lot of times people can't recognize their own 
sons and daughters mm-hmm. because of dementia their recollection of their children is of a much younger age and when they see the person in front visually it does not match with what their memory is mm-hmm. and then they refuse to recognize the worst part is in an elderly couple they refuse to recognize their spouse with whom they have been living for 40 50 years because dementia has hit so badly that it's taken them into their childhood mm-hmm. before they were married for mm-hmm. example So these are all some of the things we don't understand dementia well enough mm. we don't have any cure for dementia as yeah. yet and you know it's you don't know where it's going to go you don't know where it's going yeah. you don't know what is going on so we are doing our own part in a small way we are actually developing a product mm. that helps manage patients mm. with dementia in mm. nursing homes mm. uh, dementia care and things like that today it's the best that you can do Uh, there is nothing we know of at least that will prevent dementia it's still mm-hmm. being researched right. but at least you can manage it better on oh, that's the hope you had mentioned that in personal theory about it being so rampant and uh, about it going to get even worse is fact with this whole implosion of social media and people not being more mindful not being present not correct it, it also kind of brings us back to the point on meditation right, right. Uh, exactly My my own view is you form memories when you are in the moment when you enjoy something mm. uh when you feel that enjoyment mm. uh, or you feel that happiness coming out of that moment mm. but today if you see most of us we trying to become masters of multitasking one of the things i see in children which i really feel very bad about is the tv is on they are on their laptop and they are listening to some music coming out of their phone while you know there is a book lying around trying to reconcile these four or five things mm. what you are trying to do is you are actually trying to train your mind to accept four inputs or three inputs mm. at a time instead of one at a time which is just the antithesis of what you should be doing in trying to prevent dementia you do not know what will be the long term effects of mm. something like this not to mention the fact that now you are keeping your eye on the screen all the time mm-hmm. and flashing millions of changing pixels all the time mm-hmm. is the eye ever supposed to be that kind of a sensory organ you don't know and is the mind a kind of a sensory organ that can process four different quality kind of inputs mm-hmm. you don't know mm-hmm. but one thing i certainly think will happen is because of this you have less and lesser chances of being in the moment which means you won't form your memory which probably means something at the end is it dementia i don't know see our problem today is we do not give enough time for memories to be formed right if i asked you what you did last tuesday not a chance <laughs> got a blank for me for me to even place that tuesday would be like this right. where are we right now tuesday and whereas when i i remember when i used to talk to my grandmother she would say Ah 19 you know 74 April I remember I think it was the Janmashtami day or she she'll start like that and then she can put a date to it she can do all of that why is it that we don't do that we've lost we have too much information and very little insight true that's true that is that is the problem we have we have a deluge of information we don't know what to do with it we want to pack more and more in every day whereas and think technology is aiding that it's actually not it isn't mm-hmm. you will probably come to a elderly part of your life uh-huh. where you've got everything but nothing uh-huh. you don't remember anything what do you will you do with everything right that's scary so that's why dementia is little fascinating 
well, wishing you and the team the very best in your endeavors to fight dementia, of course, maybe arrive at a remedy sooner. Now, since we don't want to end on a somber note, you know, we would like to end this whole discussion by asking you this last question. Okay, so what would you squash if you knew you could terminate it forever? The ability to feel physical pain. Actually, it's not just physical pain, it's also emotional pain. Uh, right. By that, I don't mean the ability to remove empathy, but the ability to let pain affect your actions. Okay. A lot of time, our actions are taken out of a pain that has been caused, True. past, present, or anticipated in the future. Mm -hmm. What if you could gain equanimity of mind mm -hmm. in such a way that that outcome does not bother you? Right. And you're able to take, uh, there's a very nice term called nishkama karmaha. Mm -hmm. That is uh, an action born out of no attachment right. to the outcome. And that's probably what you would want to do. That's what you should do, but yeah. it's quite a... And, and that's, what, uh, that's what was also said when you say karma nevadikaraste maafaleshu kadachana, which is you're not, you're not attached to the outcome. Right. It's not that you don't bother about the outcome. Mm. You have to bother about the outcome because how else will you... responsible for it. Yeah. How else will you decide on a course of action if you're not looking at the outcome? Mm. But having done everything that needs to be done, right. you know you've done whatever needed to be, what was your best, mm. then just leave it. Right. And that's, that's something that one still yeah. has a problem with. Right. You're still worried about the outcome all the time. But that's something... I, guess I think most of us humans. I think everybody goes through that. If you, there, there is one wish, that is what it would be. Nice one. <laughs> I think now we can conclude this okay. segment. I hope the outcome was good. <laughs> nice. You too. I, I hope it was okay. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, I, maybe it was nice. too spiritual or whatever no, no, for is, people nice. who might we listen have, to I'm sure we, our listeners will enjoy listening to this. Uh, Thank you so much okay. for your time. You're welcome. Each of us has a purpose. We are destined to do something meaningful, not only to support our loved ones, but to positively impact our communities throughout the country. What do you think a private Christian education looks like? Grand Canyon University graduates 25,000 students yearly and offers more than 225 high-quality programs across nine colleges. Find your purpose at GCU. Visit gcu.edu.